when a body of believers, hearts are joined for this purpose, your kingdom come, your will be done. Learn to join your heart with the, with the, the, the family of God. Learn to join your heart with your leaders. That's what it means to be behind the vision of a church. It, you know, I think that it's more than just like, what's your vision? Well, go on our website and you can see our vision. Praise the Lord. The vision, Jesus' vision was he saw what the Father did and he did what he said. And the disciples got behind his vision because they said, he hears from God and I believe in what he's saying and I believe in what he's doing. And they followed him and they lived with him and they joined their hearts to his. Even in rabbinic, like Hebrew culture, that when, when you're teaching, that actually when somebody would teach, uh, like let's say that I'm, a, I'm an older person and I'm teaching a younger person the law, I would literally look at them as a son or a daughter. Like there was this relationship of a heart joining, a covenant. And so our vision should be seeing what the Father is doing. But let's learn to join our hearts. Amen? has nothing to do with what I was going to preach on today, but I think it's, I think it's really good, though, to, to just learn that. It, you know, how many have ever noticed the power that's released in prayer? Here's a good scripture for you. Matthew, Jesus said, if any two of you agree on touching anything on earth, what does it say? It'll be done by my Father, right? A lot of times we like to use that verse and, you know, like, well, I need a car, so let's agree in prayer. Praise God. Um, and, and I believe that, I mean, God honors our, he, he knows our needs, he knows our wants, our desires, and he loves us, and he, take, and he blesses us. Um, but in that, in the context of what Jesus was saying, he was actually talking about getting along with each other. He was actually talking about, hey, if you've got odd against someone, you need to get it right. You remember the scripture in Matthew 18, it says, if you don't give your gift at the altar, if you've got a, an issue with the brother or sister, get right with your brother or sister, then bring your gift to the altar. Like he's teaching us that it's not just uh, about this relationship. It's also about this relationship. Like both of them are one. Like if your relationship with this is off, then your relationship with this is off. It's, it's like the cross. Every time you see the cross, you can think about my relationship with God and my relate because he came to bring us in harmony. So Jesus was teaching agree the word agree. If two or more shall agree, he's saying Understand that there's power when you're in agreement. And it's not just thinking the same thing. Well, if I just think the same thing, a new car, a new, or whatever it is, I'm agreeing in prayer. I remember a brother one time, he uh, was talking to a young man that had a carpet cleaning business years ago. And, uh, and he said, hey, we need the church carpets clean. Can you come Thursday? And he was going to pay him and all that. And he was the guy in charge of all this. And, and he said, actually, I can't. My schedule is not going to work Thursday. He's like, well, let's just agree in prayer that it will. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's kind of manipulative, you know, that scripture was not made to manipulate. It's made to teach us the power of agreement and harmony from our hearts. When we live out of the center of our being and we join our hearts, there's so much power. I'm telling you. And so Jesus said, if two or more shall agree, the word agree is this symphone in the Greek. It's where we get the word symphony. It's a beautiful ensemble of hearts joined together. That's actually what the church is supposed to be. In a local church, an assembly, not just a gathering, 
but an assembly. A gathering is people in the same room. An assembly is hearts joined because God can actually assemble us like living stones fitly framed together, like two trees growing together and becoming one. As it says in Ephesians 4, when it talks about the, the body growing up and being mature in love, it's love that makes it happen. How many those of you that are married say, holla, holla at your boy. Love made it happen to join your hearts together. Well, the love of God, the love of God, and, and it was that chemistry, that, you know, eros and the different loves that God gives us that we, that we you know, and in a marriage, it's, of course, it's different, but it's love, it's the love of God that teaches us to be in harmony. Kind of like the way that this guitar right here, the tension that causes the, the frequency because of the vibration of each string to, to be in harmony. And if, how many know that if, if one or two are out, it throws the whole thing off, right? And Jesus gave this principle and he said, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So can you imagine, and this isn't a word of condemnation, but of grace and encouragement, if every single person, when we come together, joins their hearts to extol Jesus, like forget about what's going to happen. Forget about, I'm, listen, here's my whole message. Let's join our hearts to just extol him. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Some of you think, well, I want to see those tongues of fire. Well, then we need to learn this. They were with one accord in one place. They were anticipating heaven to come. They were anticipating, Jesus said, he'll send the promise of the father. You'll be endued with power from on it. They joined their hearts together. I think it took them about 10 days to get it right. That's actually a pretty good deal, but 10 days praying and waiting on God. But if we join our hearts, imagine if every person in this room, when we gather together, God assembles us as an army, the exponential increase of his manifest presence. You think about revivals like Azusa Street. In, in that time, in the early 1900s, blacks and whites did not meet in the same room for church. But in the, Azusa Street, in the Azusa Street revival, the walls were torn down. And what happened? God manifested. Why? Because he loves harmony. That's why uh, the counterfeit of worship is just music by itself. Do you know the word music? I'm just going to rabbit trail if that's okay. The word music comes from the muses. The muses were, they were uh, basically myths, these women that, that were, you know, basically uh, art, art and creativity came from. And originally there was three. One was for the low note on the lyre, the instrument that King David played. One for the mid and one for the high. It's like a counterfeit trinity. It's the counterfeit of worship. That's why I remember as a young man, I loved music that was just chaos because my life was chaos because I was rebellious with, you know, like that fast, like punk rock stuff because that was where I was. That's it. My heart was pointed at that type of thing. So even when music is on pitch, even have you ever been to an orchestra? Oh, beautiful. Now there's anointing release of music. Music was made to worship. It's not like church. It's not like you, I mean, you can, you can like really appreciate the art of it. But music, it's the sound that, that's released, the sound of harmony, not just in worship, but I'm using sound as an example. But our, see, our hearts will reverberate a sound 
that causes the manifest presence to exponentially increase. That's, that's, the, that's why it says this in Ephesians 2. It says, you're fitly framed together to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Oh, that's so good. See, you have to be fitly framed together in order for God to fill you with latter glory, with that greater glory. And when we come together and worship, and many of you understand what I'm saying, that there is something about just, you begin to sing the song of the Lord. You begin to exalt him. You begin to sing about his goodness. And all of our hearts are pointed at Jesus. And all of us, we forget about what's going to happen in an hour. We actually forget about the football game. I know it's not football season, but we forget about what's going to happen in a few hours. We just All that matters is the Kairos moment of, God, I'm in your presence. And there's something that my heart is being aware of right now. And it's like the, the glory of your face. And it's just causing me to come closer. It's just causing me to, to, to want to exalt you more because you're so amazing and you're so holy. And so when everyone learns to do that in one, see, here's what's going to happen in the next 10, 20. It's happened in the last few decades. Worship is going to get more and more intense. Now, the counterfeit is entertainment. Entertainment is a huge industry in the world, one of the most profitable because it's counterfeit worship. And entertainment isn't just music and movies and all that. It's also, you know, found in the pulpit and other things. Music, you know, because we want to be rock stars. Everybody, come on, everyone wants to be a rock star. But it's not a solo Set. It's not a solo artist. It's a symphony. It's an agreement, a symphony. Join our, and it happens when you join your heart. See, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm the, you know, lead pastor. I'm not afraid to sit on the front row and let someone else lead worship. When Chris came, I was so blessed, and I love leading worship, and I will from time to time. It's in me. I'm going to write songs. It's, it's who I am. But when I'm on the front row, I'm not the worship leader. I join my heart to His, and I get behind Him. There's sometimes I will literally pray, covering over Him. Because you don't know what it's like to be right here in charge of the atmosphere. You're trying to get everyone to join their heart through song. And there's a bunch of religious devils all over the place. And not in this church. I mean, not, not in this church ever. No, really, we have a great, great spirit of worship in this church. But sometimes I'll pray, Lord, send worshiping angels on either side of him. His Levite angels all around. And, and the atmosphere shifts. Why? Because our hearts begin to join. We begin to lift each other up. I used to notice this uh, when I first started leading worship and we'd have background vocals. We'd have vocalists and singers that if one of them had like a solo, the other one would be like, go ahead, do your thing. Wait till it's my turn. And I noticed that this competitive thing, it's called contention. The enemy uses contention and division, division, seeing two different things instead of our hearts set on the value of who he is. And there was this contention and, and then it would turn into entertainment. But I noticed that when the, let's say a background vocalist would back her sister or brother up when they, would, they were singing from their heart a part of a song. And I would encourage them, I'd say, when they're singing a song, back them up. And begin to just say, oh, God, just use them right now to release heaven sound. And when you join your hearts, man, it was just like, it changes the atmosphere. Amen. 
So let us learn that as a church, as a body. Learn to join your hearts to the family of God and allow the presence of the Lord to do this and the love of God for one another. Amen? I want you to uh, just pray with me for a moment. I want us to just, let's do that. Let's, let's just uh, set our hearts on him. Jesus, we love you. I want you, would you just pray right now and just say, Lord, come and increase your glory in this house right now. I welcome you. You live in me and you're resting on me, but I am just so open and yielded and welcoming to what you have in this moment right now. So, Lord, we ask you, come in power and just do whatever you want to do within us, Lord, through us through this church, in our city. Manifest your glory. Let it flood the earth. Let the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if I have time to preach this message. Uh, Let me just try to get through it. Is that all right? I feel like the Lord is speaking to our house, speaking to the body of Christ. And there's some things that I got to journey into some messages um, a couple years ago. And it was about the house of Saul and the house of David. And I want to share my heart with you that I believe God is raising up Davids in the earth, worshiping warriors, heroes of this hour. And it starts when we understand when we have this heart like David, this heart after God, it, it kind of goes in line with what I'm talking about, setting your heart on him and being in harmony. But God is wanting us to distinguish the difference between the Saul wineskin, if you would, and, and this heart of David. I want to, uh, if you would just open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and hold your place there. Please don't read ahead. Don't read yet. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to talk about the story of David and Goliath just a little bit, um, and we're going to get into a little bit more, but I want to give you three points or three keys or three things that you need to burn in your heart so you can become God's hero and God's champion. Amen. Number one, you are victorious. Say, I'm victorious. Listen, as a believer, Jesus has already won the victory. Do you know that? When he died on Calvary, it says that all of the principalities and powers, every demon was disarmed. And Jesus literally disarmed the enemy. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he lives within you. Many times we have the wrong warfare worldview and we're still trying to bind demons that have already been bound. When we begin to declare the word of the Lord, instead of being so enemy focused, focus on the fact that we have victory, we thank him for it, we don't live for victory, we live from victory. And we learn to walk with a boldness that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And wherever the soles of my feet tread, I possess the land for Jesus. I remember a young man that I used to go out witnessing on the strip with, His friends were playing a Ouija board and he got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he would walk in the room, it would stop working because the the person that lived within him was greater than the demons that were making that thing work. 
And we've got to live from a place of victory. But being God's champion and hero comes from this place of knowing who I am in Jesus, that not only am I crucified with Him, we quote it all the time, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. But we stop right there. We forget that we were also buried with Him. We forget that we were also raised with Him. And the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. Not only that, but you ascended with Him. You say, well, I didn't ascend. I haven't been flying lately. Have you ever had dreams of flying? Have you ever had dreams of flying? I think it's a picture of you understanding that God wants you to soar in victory. I dream that I can fly all the time. Do you know that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? That means not only were you crucified with Him, but you were buried, raised, and ascended, and sat down with Him at the right hand of God. Far above, the Bible says, all principality and power. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, in the New Living Translation, for in Christ is the fullness of God that lives in human body. And you are complete through your union with Christ in Him. He is Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. Say amen. amen. Say I'm victorious. victorious. Exodus 15, 1-3, Moses and the people of Israel saying after they were delivered from in the Exodus, it says here, I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed victoriously. He has thrown both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my victory. He is my God. I will praise Him. He is my Father's God. I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. Yes, Yahweh is His name. He lives within you. If He's a warrior and victorious, that means you are a warrior and you're victorious. Remember the Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not with a physical sword. This is with a two-edged sword in our hand, a high praise of God in our mouth. Psalm 149 says, to bind their kings with chains, to, to bind and break their chains. How many know it's a spiritual battle? Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against one another, but it's a spiritual war, but we are exalted in Christ far above every principality and power. I told first service when we began to declare the spirit of pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmacy. If you read in the Bible in the Greek where it says sorcery or witchcraft, it's the spirit of pharmakia. It's that seductive spirit of drugs and addiction and alcoholism that we began to say it is bound and we are now loosing with the authority of heaven people that still have these chains on their life. And we began to see people get saved, healed, and delivered left and right. Delivered from meth. Delivered from alcoholism. Come on and give God some praise. Why? Because we live from victory, not for victory. Oh God, if you could just please. And he says, I already gave you all authority and power. I said, it's given to me. Read Matthew 18. 2,000 years ago, he said, go therefore. We're always living from this place asking God to do things when God's like, hey, you're sitting right next to me in heaven. Why don't you do it? Start prophesying to dry bones. Just start declaring freedom. That is the gospel, is a proclamation of freedom. Do you know what the gospel of the kingdom is? It's the gospel that Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. Jesus is Lord. He reigns in heaven. We've got to live from victory. Amen. Psalm. 
18.34, he prepares me for battle. He strengthens me to, to bend a bow of bronze. Psalm 144.1, a Psalm of David says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. Today, the champion in you wants to come forth and increase his government in the earth. God's Davids are arising in the earth. In 1 Samuel 17, the story, Saul was already rejected as king. There's a battle going on and Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel saying, choose a man for yourselves to come up against me. It's interesting that there's a contrast there. Uh, He says, choose a man for yourselves. But if you look in the history of the kingdom, the first king Saul was not chosen by God, but chosen by men. So the voice of the enemy is saying, go ahead, make another decision where you're going to be in defeat. The enemy is saying, choose for yourselves. And there's this contrast from Saul to David of man's choice and God's choice. And when you understand you're chosen by God, you live from this place of victory. So I want to read a few verses to you in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 14 through 19, really quick. It says, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Since David's three oldest brothers were in the army, they stayed with Saul, Saul's forces all the time. But David went back and forth working for Saul and helping his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this half bushel of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your brother's. Give these 10 cuts of cheese. Cuts the cheese. What? What did it say right there? Give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along. Bring me back a letter. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army are in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Number two. Number one is you are victorious. Number two is stay focused on your assignment. So many times we're, we're looking so far ahead in the future at our destiny, which it's good for our reach to exceed our grasp. That's childlike faith. You ever notice little babies? They're always reaching for stuff that they shouldn't be handling, right? In spirit, we should all be like children. And listen, a little baby crawling around reaching for something on, on the counter is different than a little baby sitting there thinking, oh, I can't wait to be driving a car. They have no idea what a car is. But the way we work is we're so focused on our destiny, we get distracted from our assignment. Now, David was a little young shepherd boy, the least likely to become this champion out of all of his brothers. His brothers are already, they're older, they're bigger, they're stronger, they have experience in battle. And what's David doing? He's messing around with some dirty old sheep, petting zoo. He's over at the pet. Have you ever been to a petting zoo? They smell And guess what? That was his assignment and he was about his father's business. Stay focused on your assignment. Don't be distracted by your destiny. Understand that we have destiny in God. One of the greatest ways for you to fulfill your destiny is just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't think about all the strategies of how you can fulfill your destiny because it's probably going to come out way different than you expect it. Because God's still working on you and trying to get pride out of you and Saul out of you so you can become his David. So don't get distracted with your destiny. Stay focused on your assignment. Jesus, uh, David was called to serve, called to serve and to shepherd a bunch of sheep. Jesus said, the greatest among you is the servant of all. 
Matthew 23, 11. Colossians 3, 23 says, do everything heartily as unto the Lord. And then, and then his dad, or he tells him, bring some bread and cheese to your brothers. David has come here. He's like a food delivery guy, right? He's coming here and he's serving his brothers. But God chooses him because of his heart. Nehemiah sent by the king for this amazing task to repair the walls of the city, to restore a city. Can you imagine? God says, hey, uh, Rochelle, I've chosen you to restore Las Vegas. Oh my gosh, are you serious? And she's expecting to fill stadiums up with people so she can work on their hearts and restore the city. And then God says, oh, by the way, remember you're from Henderson. I know you don't want to go back, but I want you to plant a church in Henderson and start it in a coffee shop. That was her assignment. But God called her to restore the city. Nehemiah called to restore the city. And God says to Nehemiah, build the wall in front of you. Say, build the wall in front of you. That's your assignment. Don't get distracted with your destiny. Joseph has a dream that all his brothers bow down and then he gets locked up for 13 years. Why? Because God was preparing him for his destiny. Moses, again, God raises up a deliverer. God raises up this, this warrior, right? This hero. And it takes 40 years in the desert tending sheep for him to learn God's heart. Abraham gets a promise and then he waits and his, his old lady's getting old. She was an old lady and still didn't have no children, right? Still didn't have kids. Why? Because God was preparing him for his destiny to become the father of many nations. That's one of the reasons he had to actually lay the promise down before the covenant, the power of the covenant was released. You will never step into the power of the purpose God has for your life through covenant unless you lay the promise down. Don't get so focused on the promise that you miss your purpose in the now moment, your assignment. That's a good word. When God gives you a seed to plant, don't neglect it. Cultivate it like it's the only seed or assignment put in front of you. Years ago, I was praying for the spirit of revelation. God, I just love manna, fresh manna from heaven. Hallelujah. And I'm praying and God says, why don't you cultivate the other revelation that I've given you and I'll give you more. And I saw a picture of a garden, Adam and Eve. Hey, Adam, Eve, I want you to fill the earth and I want you to bring my dominion everywhere. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth. Oh, by the way, you're going to start right here. Cultivate this garden. Why? Because their destiny was to to release God's dominion in the whole earth. But their assignment was to tend a garden. Amen. I remember the Lord, you know, tells me this. He says, Start cultivating the seeds that I'm giving you and I'll give you more. Many times we neglect areas of the garden of our heart. God's speaking to us. He's changing us. He's working on us. And we run over here and we're like, oh, yes, God. And we're like little kids, you know, like, God, have you ever seen little kids eat? My son, Josiah, does this. He was eating mac and cheese one day and I'm feeding him. He'd run up, take a bite, and then he'd like run away. Mac and cheese, mac and cheese. And then he'd run back up and get a bite. And that's how we are sometimes with what God gives us. Learn to savor the mac and cheese. Baked mac and cheese. Come on, somebody. I want the, forget the craft. Craft. I want the real deal. Get me some cheddar and some awesome good cheese on there. Sometimes we're like little kids. Cultivate what God gives you. Don't get distracted. Stay focused on your assignment. David was this young shepherd boy, and God was preparing him for destiny. 
You cannot handle your destiny if you cannot manage your assignment. I'm going to say that again so you tweet it. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't handle your destiny if you cannot manage your assignment. You're wanting all this stuff and God's like, you can't handle it, son, daughter. I'm trying to prepare you for greatness. I'm trying to get the Saul wineskin out of you. Because you might end up becoming like Saul, building an old image of yourself. I can't give you new wine in this wineskin. It will burst. I'm trying to give you a new wineskin. You cannot handle your destiny if you cannot manage your assignment. Our assignment is all part of preparing us for our destiny. Amen. See, God is preparing His church. He's looking for a bride that He can fill with glory, that He can display victorious and glorious. And Saul and David are types of these things. God is, David was a type of Jesus. Saul is a type of Adam, our choice. We chose wrongly. You chose unwisely. Those of you that have seen, which one was that? The last crusade, yeah. The night you have chosen unwise. And she died, or he dies, right? Thanks for tweeting that, whoever did that. It was probably Doug, yeah. (laughs) I just saw my phone go off. I want to talk about this war between the house of David and house of Saul. Later on, we're going to read later, 2 Samuel 3.1. The war between the house of David and the house of Saul lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. God's church is arising in victory right now in the earth. Stronger and stronger. God's raising up Davids. He's raising up heroes that are not about themselves but have hearts after God that love inquiring of the Lord. And I want to talk about where did this thing start manifesting? As I move to point three, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39 to you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped on the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again. Number three, lose the armor. Why? Because David had a different kind of armor. In a previous chapter, in in verse uh, 13 of chapter 16, it says, Samuel anointed him. Saul was already rejected as king. Samuel anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. That word to come upon is like to be clothed with the Spirit. You see, our armor is to be the presence of the Lord. We are to be clothed with his glory. David didn't need man's armor. He was clothed with the armor of God. So we've got to get rid of the armor that doesn't fit. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, We're human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. Listen. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and we teach them to obey Christ. We need to pick up the weapons that God has given us. And the greatest weapon is Him. God is love. The greatest weapon is being to, to be that victorious warrior is to walk from our hearts that, God, I am after you and you alone, and I've got to lose this Saul armor. Lord, expose this Saul wineskin. 
Now, I want to give you a few declarations and we're going to close. If you're oppressed and you need a David to play his harp, you might have Saul's armor on. Sometimes, and I want to I encourage you that this is something the Lord is going to bring you through and he's going he's to cause you to be a champion in him. Oh, I've just got to get to church Sunday because I'm so oppressed. And I know as soon as I get in the house of the Lord, all this stuff's going to lift up off of me. See, God wants to teach you to walk in a victory where you, you don't, you, it's important, corporate worship, because our hearts are joined, we're fitly framed together. You, you need gathering and assembly in the house of the Lord. You need apostolic blessing. Amen. That's Jesus' gifts to the church. This is don't twist and retain this as an anti-church statement. Some of you that might have issues with authority. You need corporate worship. But when it's the only thing that helps you not be oppressed, you need to strip Saul's armor off. See, David learned in Psalm 22, 3, he's enthroned on the praise of Israel. He learned that, that time with the Lord where the Spirit of the Lord would come and rest. When nobody was around. He didn't need Saul's armor because his heart was already after God. If we can't seem to win the battle and we're still living in fear, we might need to get rid of some armor. Say, lose the armor. Let me make some declarations. Allow me to expose Saul's armor in in us, okay? Once we give our hearts to the Lord, we still want to sit on the throne. We we love being in control because we're prideful and it's just who we are, right? We like being in charge. We like being in the driver's seat. When I go on road trips, I don't want my wife to drive, not just because she sometimes hits the on the side, you know, those things, and I can't take a nap. I'm like, I start dozing. Lord Jesus, angels, angels. Ah! I'm not even joking. I'd like to drive. I think we need to take you shopping. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Husbands, that's how you do it when you mess up. Baby, we should go. Let's go to town square. I think they got to sell it, Francesca's. 15 bucks, a nice top. Mm, you look good in that. Take notes, guys. Young men, someday, I'm telling you, right? All the older men, the, the best thing you can learn is, yes, dear. Yes, honey. We want to be in charge, though, don't we? We want to be sitting on the throne. We want to be in the driver's seat. So may God, through this series, begin to expose this Saul wineskin. Here, here's Saul. Saul was more about the outward appearance, but with David, it was that he was a man after God's own heart. Remember man's choices. Man, Saul's a good-looking tall man. He'd be a good king. And God's like, uh, I'm not sure about that. And he relented that he allowed it. You remember? God regretted, he was grieved, and he rejected Saul as being king. The outcome could have been different if Saul's heart stayed right or got right. So the possibilities went awry because of his heart, because Saul was so concerned with the outward appearance. But David, according to 1 Samuel 15, 7, he told, God told Samuel, I'm not looking at the outward this time. Samuel comes to anoint David's brothers. Oh, look at this tall man of God. This has got to be the one. God's like, no, 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 keep looking. It ain't him. Another one. Nope. It goes through all the brothers and comes this young man, ruddy, red. He had some, just like me, I had a little red in my beard when I let it grow out. 
young and ruddy and handsome in appearance. And God says, that's the one that I want. The little shepherd boy, he worships me when no one's around. He kills the bear and the lion and he doesn't look for a video camera so he can put it on display on YouTube of how anointed he is. It's one thing to declare testimony. It's another to look anointed. Amen. With Saul, it was what he did in public that mattered. With David, it was killing the bear and the lion and his worship in private. With Saul, it was making a statue, an image of himself with David. It's always glorifying and praising the Lord. Always inquiring of the Lord. With Saul, it's always about pleasing the people and in essence, disobeying God. But with David, it's always pleasing the Lord and doing what he says. With Saul, it was trying to tend a few of his father's donkeys. With David, he was always about his father's business. Reminds you of someone in the New Testament named Jesus tending his father's sheep. Do you remember there's a story, if you look back, when Saul, before he started encountering the Lord and, and God was doing things in his life, he was looking for his father's donkeys. I think that it's just a perfect picture of if we are through the, alls, the eyes of Saul, the, the assignment that we have in front of us, if, there, if it looks like donkeys, a bunch of jackasses, then we might have the Saul wineskin. Hello? But if we see tender sheep that we care about and we love and we're willing to sacrifice and go and tend to the sheep like David, then God is birthing a hero within us, that champion spirit within us. Saul was man's choice. David was God's choice. Saul was worried about Goliath making him look bad as a king. You remember all the scriptures? One time he tells... Saul tells prophet Samuel, says, hey, Samuel, can you modify the word of the Lord a little bit? I don't want to look bad in front of the elders. Can you just make it sound a little bit more, you know, like I'm, yeah, just add a little exhortation on that thing. Because I want to look good in front of the people. Saul was always concerned. Goliath is just taunting the armies of Israel. He cares nothing about the fact that they're the chosen nation And they're to arise in victory. But David says, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? You see the difference? I don't think David was concerned about Saul giving him all this wealth and all the daughters. And he said, what was was the whole deal with that? He asked some people. David said, what are they going to give the guy who kills this giant? Oh, you're going to get blessed. But here's what he said. Who is this that defies the armies of the living God. You see, with Saul, he was rejected by God. Hear me. But David's heart so impressed God in those moments that God would actually call his own son, the Messiah, the son of David. Think about that. I want to impress God's heart so much. I'm so after him that I will literally become a champion in history and affect generations. How many people, I want a heart like David. Because he was the only man in the Bible that says he had a man, he was a man after God's own heart. Only one guy in the whole Bible. A man after God's, he was a type of Jesus. Totally surrendered. In all his mistakes and his failures, he was quick to repent. He was quick to obey. He always ran. He always ran and, and said, Lord, forgive me. Always paid a price. Saul was rejected, but David impressed God so much that he would call his own son the son of David. 
Lord, let this warrior spirit burn in us that we are victorious. Let us stay focused on our assignment and let us lose the armor of Saul. It just doesn't fit. We thank you that you're raising up Davids in the earth. And we welcome your presence right now to just burn these things within us and and reveal to us some of the areas that our heart might be clean to the old wineskin. God, we thank you for the season of preparation. But we're not so distracted with what is to come that we forget what we're supposed to be doing in the now. And we want to be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We want to be a people after your own heart, an army of champions, an army of Davids that are continually before you saying yes and bringing your government in the earth, bringing your rule. And we just thank you for that right now in every life, every heart. Lift your hands with me. And would you just say this? Say, Spirit of God, breathe on me. Let it come now, Lord. Let this, the presence of the Lord just come now. Let the weight of his presence just come. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We bless you, God. We bless you. Let us arise. David's arise. Worshippers arise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God some praise? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Bless you, God. I want to dismiss you. I want to ask uh, some of our pastoral staff and some of our prayer team, if can we have uh, you come up like over maybe on this side or just in the front here and face the people and uh, just come up, our prayer team, pastoral staff, turn around and face the people. If you need prayer, if you need healing in your body, if you need freedom, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, if you want to recommit your life, if you whatever you need, we are here to minister to you. We want to embrace you. We want to pray with you. So we want you to come as they put worship on. I want you um, to feel free to come up here, linger, worship up here. And those of you that would like to leave, I bless you. Please love some people before you go. And if it is your first time, make sure you fill out a contact card so we can get to know you better and, and connect with you. Amen. God bless you. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am yours. When my heart is filled with hope And every promise comes my way When I feel your hands of grace Rest upon me Staying desperate for you, God Staying humble at your feet